Hello, and welcome to Season Zero Movies. I'm Grace. And I'm Emma. And uh, this is finally our final episode of talking about all the movies that Hayao Miyazaki directed. We did it! Plus the one that he wrote. Yes. Um, we did it! Uh, and I think, yeah, this is kind of interesting because this this movie is a movie that, like, I've been talking about this entire time. <laughs> yes, it's been looming. <laughs> it's been looming, and I think it—I think it looms properly because I think it's—I uh, think it's his most self-reflective movie, um, and so it is in some ways him thinking about the rest of his work in a way that I think is really interesting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, before we get to that, uh, yeah, so we'll we'll start the new season next time. We'll let you know what the next movie is and theme is at the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. Gotta gotta wait for that yeah. content. Yeah, gotta listen to. I the mean, end. I guess it'll, it'll be in the description. So if you're really <laughs> like, oh, I gotta, then you can you can look that up. Yeah, but I'm excited, and hopefully yeah. you will stick around um, through the end of the episode and through our next. Yeah, season. I think it's been fun and and in many ways really satisfying to do um, stuff that like has sort of a, you know, uh, like. We watched Star Wars first, and then I guess we just did a smattering of, like, here are some of our favorite movies, which didn't really have, like, any mm-hmm. direct thematic connections or anything. But then Mizaki movies also have, like, they have a character of, like, people who worked on them, right? Yeah. And Star Wars has that sort of, <laughs> yeah. you know, at least in bunches. Um, and I think it's been fun to do that, but I'm excited to move to something that's more thematic and that will let us pull from, like, all sorts of periods. Mm-hmm. Um, and it'll be nice also because for all of the three seasons we've done so far, like the point is kind of that we've seen um all or most of them already right um and so it'll be nice because we're gonna try to work on branching out um Mm -hmm. watching things that we haven't seen um and yeah it'll be it'll be nice to just kind of experience that together for the first time and i think it's been conversation i think it's been nice i mean at least for me to like cut my teeth on stuff that i really know well and also like this podcast is basically responsible for me liking star wars again <laughs> yes um so shout outs to that i guess <laughs> i mean it's cursed but also also you know here's the thing I and know. i know some of you it's are gonna star be mad wars at me episode. but star wars is really good y'all star wars is so good i get in close to the mic getting close to the mic i'm being i'm just being real with you imagine me looking into your eyes and just telling you hey i think star wars is pretty rad for the most part watch clone wars clone wars is dope <laughs> i was just about to should we just do a clone wars catch-up no we should not <laughs> no we should, we should not uh, we should do the we should talk about our clone episode we can mention that we're watching rebels but that's it that's it <laughs> we're moving on we're moving on yeah okay so uh so we watched the wind we rises. watched the wind rises um oh man i have forgotten everybody's name and i did not write it down <laughs> uh, so let me look up the wikipedia article <laughs> whoops um, but this is a movie takes place in pre-war Japan. Um, and it's about, it follows this guy, uh, Jiro, uh, Horikoshi. Yeah. Um, who Jiro. is, I mean, at the beginning of the movie, he's a little kid. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a young boy, but he wants to design airplanes. Yes. Um, and he kind of like, he has these dreams. He's just sort of surreal dreams where he meets yeah. this Italian, uh, airplane designer, Giovanni uh, Caproni, because Caproni-san. Caproni-san. Yeah. <laughs> um, and sort of he becomes this like, fig- it's actually, you know what it's actually like? It's like, um, it's like the chef in Ratatouille. <laughs> it's like the same dynamic. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like the dream life. You are correct. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
you know, mentor figure, right? Mm-hmm. And basically the movie is like uh, a straightforward biopic. I will say that Jiro is an actual person. He is a person that exists and like actually wrote a memoir about like designing mm-hmm. airplanes and stuff. Um, a lot of the movie is fictionalized. Um, it's yes. not like, yeah, it is not, I don't think even attempting to be nonfiction in any way. Well, right? yeah, a lot of it is based on a different memoir. Um, well, I think it's a novel. Or a short story. Oh, I think it is a novel that was based on the author's actual life. Yes, yeah. <laughs> so it gets, but that's one of the things is there. There's there's interest in storytelling here. I think in, mm-hmm. in layers of like the stories we tell ourselves and stuff, and that's reflected, I think, in its influences and in its um in its subject matter. Um, so basically, he is going to study, you know, airplane engineering. Um, he's on the train. I think he's already. Th- I think he's already been studying there at this point. He's like headed back for the semester, mm-hmm. um, and he kind of befriends this this young girl and her like, um, like maid. Her maid. I'm trying to. I was thinking of governess was the word uh, I was thinking yeah. of. Right. It's. I mean, it's not that. That's what not what you would call it. Right. But it's kind of that sort mm-hmm. of thing. Um, and suddenly there's this huge earthquake. Yes. And this fire that basically burns Tokyo to the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and he kind of like helps them through. The maid gets injured and she he carries her on his back and stuff. And so we have this sequence of uh, them sort of like, do you know each other? Yeah. Yeah. Just he, he helps them home and then runs off, you know, without ever introducing himself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he gets employed at Mizubushi. He has a friend named Kiro Hojo? Honjo? Honjo, yeah. Honjo. And he, uh, and they're like, I don't know, what's the dynamic here? It's like... They're boyfriends. They're boyfriends. <laughs> uh, I mean, they're roommates and, like, really close and sort of, like... Yeah. It's uh, like they, they're, like, purposefully staving off competitiveness. It seems yes, like... Yes, yeah. Like, the whole... It's kind of like... Everyone around them is kind it's of... It's kind like of, like, the thing is the dynamic is, like, a little bit, like like naruto and sasuke but with like a lot of the edge <laughs> taken off right where it's like they're not directly competing with each other but they just think they're like they grow to admire each other and sort of like in exchange ideas and like yeah. work and stuff right um and anyway they're working on the falcon which is a plane for the imperial army and during the test the falcon breaks apart mid-air but jiro kind of has this kind of spiritual experience with it and sort of has this vision of like what aircraft could be in the future and mm-hmm. um anyway and then he's sent with um hero to germany yeah and this is also notably i did not realize this the first time watching the movie but this is in 1929 so this is pre you know hitler taking power right this is yes nazi stuff is happening like mm-hmm. there was a nazi party and stuff at this point um and we're in the midst of the sort of turmoil of the Weimar republic um but i think yeah, i think that's significant um because that changes the way i read that scene in a, in a big way Anyway, but he kind of is learning about uh, Junkers, who's this um, airplane designer, um, also, you know, a real person. And, um, you know, it's, yeah, the thing is, a lot of this movie is just very sort of, it's very meditative, I think, mm-hmm. for a Miyazaki movie. And even even the stuff that's like this, like Totoro or Kiki, where it's so much like, oh, this is just the mundane people's lives. There's like this whimsy and sort of this lightness to it. That this movie really does not have. Like, it's yeah. very material. And so, yeah, this scene where, like, I'm describing, like, hey, he goes to Germany and he, like, learns about airplanes. Like, that is what the scene <laughs> is, right? Yeah. They do also run into some Germans who seem to be attacking a Jewish person. Mm-hmm. Um, you, it's not said explicitly, but they're like racist to them, mm-hmm. right? And anyway, and there's sort of this like threat threat around it. Yeah. Um, but you don't know exactly what is happening. 
Um, and um, also he dreams of Capronia again, who this is thing like, would it, you know, I'd rather live in a world with pyramids than without one, even though there's sort of this cost, right? This mm -hmm. material cost. Um, so, and then we sort of cut ahead. This is also one of the interesting things about the movie is it, it's not playful with time, it's linear. But yeah. <laughs> it does sort of skip around and you sort of don't know like how long it has been since the last point. Yes, like I truly, I I did not have a good <laughs> sense of the time. <laughs> yeah, well, so so he's kind of on vacation. Yeah, he, he goes like up into the mountains, right. like on vacation for a whole summer yeah. because he designed a plane that failed. Yeah. Um, so he's like taking some time off and he meets this lady. Yeah. Who was the girl. Yeah, Naoko. Yeah, yeah Naoko. Um, and her dad is there, and they're sort of on, like, she's really sick, um, and so it's sort of implied that they're there as, like, Oh, a... they own, his... the oh, dad own owns the... the hotel. Oh, okay, I didn't realize that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, she's there, she's, you know, sick, like, cooped up and stuff, but they, like, f build this relationship, and this is when you were talking about, like, um, how this movie has, like none of the whimsy right um, of some of the other Miyazaki movies. I agree, except for, for yes, this, is this true, part yeah. mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and stuff. And so they, you know, they form a relationship and he, um, yeah, there's like and a... Jiro also befriends um, this German man who's there, um, who's like, you know, on the DL, like. Yeah, he seems hey, to be sort of anti-Nazi in some yeah. way, but you don't really know like what's going on with him exactly. Yeah. Um, talks about Thomas Munn mm -hmm. with, uh, you know, the Magic Mountain. Um, and yeah, he sort of, like, the hotel, like, this place of healing, this place of retreat, right? Yeah. Um. So, Jiro and Naoko, um, they get engaged at the end of the summer before he's about to go home. But, um, then she reveals that she has tuberculosis. Um, and she wants to get better before they get married. Yeah. So mm -hmm. she's going to stay there um, and he's going to go back to work. Right. And so he's continued to work and kind of like is continued to like rise within the company. Um, I don't think there's a I'm trying to remember when this fits in, but also like sort of the Japanese secret police yes. are interested in him. Yes. I was very confused about why that was. Yeah. Um, but then like I, I looked it up and I read about it. It was like because that German man oh. had to like flee, like get out of town. Right. Um, and stuff. And like they were after him and then and they knew that Jiro like had, this had been in contact yeah. and was well that is also one of the things that's interesting is this that scene where i mean yeah well i guess we'll talk about this thematically but basically the one of the leads of the company is like hey we can protect you but you have to make yourself useful right mm -hmm. um so you know so he's designing aircraft right still yes. um while this is going on naoko has a hemorrhage has a lung hemorrhage mm-hmm um, and is it staying in this like mountain sanatorium? This is the novel is about someone staying in a mountain sanatorium. So that's one of the things that ties directly into this. We should get that name. Oh, we will get this at the end after our summary. Yeah. Um. Anyway, and so they decide to get married right away, basically, even mm -hmm. though they know like Nako's probably gonna die. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So yeah, she like she leaves the sanatorium. Yeah. And comes and they get married that night. Yeah. In Jiro's boss's house. Yeah. It's very good. It's very good. Yeah. <laughs> very good scene. And then, um, so 
yeah, they sort of have this relationship and he's kind of bringing work home and is really busy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's also part of it is like, people are like, you should just let her go to the sanatorium. And she's like, no, she wants to be with me and I can't sacrifice my work. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I have to do this. Yeah. I can do both. <laughs> I can do both. Um, and, um, then, so his sister, who we haven't talked about, who only shows sister, up like two or three times. Yeah. She's very good. Um, she, you know, is coming um, to visit and yeah. on the way she sees, Naoko, like, walking away and is mm-hmm. confused but doesn't, like, isn't sure what to do. And it turns out that basically she's left to go back to the mountain sanatorium and die. Yeah. Um, it's kind of so, like, Jiro won't see her become old and, I mean, like, become sick and, like, sort of, yeah. she'll have, he'll have this, like, pure image of her, right? Yeah. Um, anyway, and so then Jiro does this test flight, which is kind of mirrors the first test flight that was failed, right? Mm-hmm. Anyway, and then it kind of, like, I'm trying to remember if there's anything else. And then it cuts ahead to sort of this vision of World War II, and he has a final conversation with Caproni. Yeah. Um, yes, it's like after. Yeah, it's after. And you see, what's interesting, I think, to me as well, is that so the, the airplane that he's most well-known for designing is the Zero, which is this kind of distinct wing shape. It, like, goes down and then back up. And um, you, you see the Zero, like, he kind of does, like, airplane like paper airplanes of it and it's kind of like a figure in his mind and stuff but you'd never see it until this dream sequence mm-hmm. um and it's like a pro and he's like hey you built this beautiful thing um but it also is after this like there's this long sort of shot that tilts up and it's like first like the wreckage of mm-hmm. the war and just all this destruction and then these like wreckages of airplanes and stuff and it tilts up tilts up and then like jiro's just like walking in this field right it's sort mm-hmm. of away from it um and Caproni's like, you have to live, right? Like, the wind rises. This is where the title comes mm-hmm. from. Like, and we all have to live, and we have to, like, keep moving, even though, like, these terrible things have happened to us. Um, and that's basically... And then he has sort of sees Naoko again. Um, yes, like a vision. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she sort of affirms that, and then he says, like, thank you. You know, and then that's the end of the movie, pretty much. That's the end of the movie. Um... You should probably just watch the movie. <laughs> yeah, I think if you, you want to sh- know. What's I think you going should. On. I don't. The thing is, yeah. Again, like this is also even though we both talked about how Kiki and uh, Totoro are sort of plotless, mm-hmm. right? This is the most plotless. <laughs> yeah. Miyazaki movie. Um, um, yeah. So I, you have not seen this movie. No, I've never seen this movie right. before. Uh, so I'd seen it once. I saw it at a university screening like two or three years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoyed it at the time. Uh, and yeah, I enjoyed it, I think, just about as much this time. Um, I mean, I think this is sort of the thing, I guess, yeah, we can just kind of launch right into it. Because mm-hmm. I, I think even though our summary is like a little weird and maybe you're like, the basic thematic ground is like, Juro is an artist who has this beautiful dream, who wants to, like, the airplanes for him are this, like, when he first talks with Caproni, he's like, airplanes are not for war and mm-hmm. they're not for business, right? They're magical dreams, right? They're these yes. incredible, beautiful things. And it's actually like, it, there's sort of a, there's sort of a Kantian element of this. We talk <laughs> yeah. about the podcast, like this idea that like beauty itself, like points to some sort of moral good. That's being really reductive, but that's sort of what Kant's getting at, right? That like beauty has sort of aesthetic form that you can't exactly explain or describe, but that also like exists beyond itself. Like the object reflects something mm-hmm. that is beautiful. Um, and obviously Kant's like drawing from like Plato, but he's not like saying like, Hey, there's a perfect table. He's like, no, there is ideal. There is like beauty is an ideal yeah. and a beautiful table reflects beauty, but you can't like nail down exactly what beauty is, mm-hmm. at least with our like human understanding. Right. So there's a little sidetrack, but basically Jiro is this artist who like believes that there is sort of this intrinsic beauty 
who then is constantly interrupted by the material, right? By things yes. being like in the world and having an effect in the world. And I basically, I, I read the movie at the time really strongly. And I think I still read it this way as basically Hayao Miyazaki looking back on his life of making films and kind of being like trying to make beautiful things and being like, I don't think this was good, man. <laughs> I think maybe this was bad. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> but yet he's making another one. <laughs> so. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I think I think that's sort of the basic like sort of thematic material that it's working with and we can talk a little about individual mm-hmm. moments and stuff. Mm-hmm, for um, sure. For sure. Um I think just going going along um with that art in like the abstract sense cuz I feel I feel like it's kind of impossible to have art without the material, right? Yeah. Like you're mm-hmm. either using like physical material and or you're spending time, you know, like right. you're mm-hmm. putting your focus in on it. Like it ta- it's work yeah, and such. And so, yeah, I'm just interested in like all those connections um, because um, one of the things it was like, it was thinking like, what if, what if Jiro just like designed, you know, what if yeah. he just like designed airplanes and they were never built? Yeah, well, I think that's part, because that's also interesting, because he's nearsighted. Yeah. Right? And so he can't fly planes, mm-hmm. right? This is, like, one of the plot things. And, like, one of the things he talks about with um, with Caproni when they first meet is, like, Caproni's like, I can't fly airplanes either. <laughs> like, I yes. I make something beautiful, right? And I take joy in seeing it made. So I would, the thing I think that's interesting and, like, relates back to this thing about making movies, um, right, is that, like, like it's basically impossible to make a movie all by yourself yeah um mm-hmm. except unless you're nina paley <laughs> making cita sings the blues um but even you know there was well, e- even other, then even then still this, yeah mm-hmm. even then there was still but so it's basically impossible and we've been talking about these miyazaki movies right yeah. um but yeah the movie draws explicit attention to like the difference and the separation between the engineers yeah. the designers mm-hmm. and the pilots who can actually fly the planes but only after the separate you know builders and like manual laborers actually assemble yeah well there's a scene where um jiro and kiro both go to like the you know the shed where they keep the airplanes Mm -hmm. right and like the like foreman there is like yeah i all should come by more often right there's this very clear sort of and like yeah but jiro like apologizes when they show up like that's why the foreman says it like he feels like they're not supposed to be there yeah um yeah and stuff and which is like probably you know like a thing put upon them by like you know like the corporate structure right it's probably some sort of like work (laughs) Um, culture or yeah or like some sort of regulation or but yeah but like all these people are necessary and have like very distinct skills um and it's just like yeah would like could jiro have ever have been satisfied just designing planes yeah or like does he have to rely you know on these other people right in order to make it's also like something that's yeah, something, yeah, something that's made, like, super, super clear is that Mitsubishi relies on sort of the Imperial Army to yeah. survive, <laughs> yes. right? That, like, that them, you know, that first scene, obviously they survived that, right? But that first scene where they're trying to get the military contract, 
Um, and they're like, this is our last chance to get, you know, for us to get a plane with them. And it's like, it's a big deal. There's this like really material stake, mm-hmm. economic stake at hand, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also sort of, a, this is also one of the things in the background. There's a lot of like emphasis on, you know, sort of socioeconomic oppression and like uh, class differences between Jiro and like other people in Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, and like how, you know, the rest of the country is like having a rough time right yes while sort of the airplane industry is sort of held afloat by this like government yes but even then even then there's still even then there's still the competition between the other countries that's like a thing Mm -hmm. they talk about all the time how like japan is so backwards yeah well it's like they that's one of the things when they go to germany it's like oh this is an airplane that is just metal you know and that's part of what they're trying to figure out and learn right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah no it's um definitely like this movie shows like poverty is obviously like created by these like huge systems um but it is not an objective state um (laughs) so poverty is always relative um because you know um just thinking about like like yeah, you know, you know, they're they're building these amazing planes, um, and stuff, and a lot of them are failing. But they have all these resources, and they have all these workers yeah. that they're paying and stuff. And then when they look over to Germany, it's like, oh well, this is like this is nothing, you know? Right? Yeah. Um, and stuff, and so it's just it's like a really good example of like. Yeah, you wouldn't necessarily think, oh, yes, like, the Japanese air, you know, air industry, you know, in the 1930s, like, that's an example of poverty. Right, or that's, <laughs> yeah. Well, there's, I mean, there's a really, there's an interesting scene where um, Jiro is sort of exploring the German hangar, right, and he goes over to this other airplane that wasn't, like, the one they're supposed to see, and the mm-hmm. German guard is like, hey, you can't come over here, and so there's sort of this, um, I think there's, I mean, there's a racial element to this, too, right? Yeah. There's this sense that, like, hey, like you know japanese people aren't supposed to be able to look at this right mm-hmm. but also like there's sort of like a i want to say like imperialist tension and not that like japan has not been an imperialist force um, yeah. but that but there's like german being like hey this is what we have control over and like you are allowed to have part of this but yeah, only you, like under our rules you right? are allowed to pay us you yes. know mm-hmm. to let us to you know you are allowed to pay us in exchange for looking yeah. <laughs> at things that we've built, you know, mm. but we're still going to keep the best things for us. But that's also what's what's really interesting is that Jiro isn't re- doesn't really, like, clock that exactly. Mm-hmm. Like, he's not, like, I don't, I'm not being like, Jiro's just an idiot, right? <laughs> but he's kind of focused on other things and mm-hmm. is so fascinated by the beauty of the airplane. Yeah. And, like, he goes and they hear um, Schubert coming from, like, a record mm-hmm. player in a window and, like, that's sort of this beautiful thing. And then later, in the, you know, the German guy plays this song on the piano and, like, Jiro sings along, yeah. you know, in German, right? And so mm-hmm. there's a sense that, like, he picks up on sort of this, again, this aesthetic mm-hmm. beauty. But, you know, the the scene where he sort of witnesses this violence, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and he's still, like, I mean, like, he doesn't know German, so I don't know if he <laughs> understands, like, you know, go back to Japan, you, mm-hmm. you know. But, like there's this moment where we're sort of confronted with this like violence with this sort of material mm-hmm. thing and i don't feel like he really understands what that is or what is happening right yeah. like he's distant from it in a way that's like both tragic and sort of 
I, I don't want to be like noble or admirable, but there's sort of an innocence to it. It's almost. like yeah. freeing. Yeah, but it's, it, but it's <laughs> in freeing. A way. In a, yeah, well, I, I think something that I think is interesting about this movie, and I think it's something that it shares thematically with Mononoke, um, is that all the characters are sort of trapped in some fundamental way. Mm-hmm. And like the story is sort of about like, how do you live and make a life despite being trapped, right? Yeah. And I think, um, and this is the thing is like, this is not. Um, like an anti-capitalist movie, even though I think it is deeply critical of, <laughs> of like capital and capitalist relations. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but it can't like it for these characters and for this moment, it cannot envision a way out for them. Right. Yeah. 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 I think, I think it's, it comes back to just this idea that Jiro is so like taken with beauty um, yeah. and art because like the whole, t- like he loves like basically anything that is like beautiful um or that he finds beautiful because every you know all the other um engineers are talking about like oh it's terrible that like we still have cows pulling our parts you know um and stuff and he's like no like i think that's amazing um and you know and same thing it's like they go to germany and they see like all this dark stuff and he's like he's like yeah like german music is amazing and like they've accomplished so much and like you know and maybe we could do that um and so yeah i think it's an interesting way where he's like combining like all the best elements from these different things and like appreciating everything for like where it's at mm-hmm, for um sure. but also yeah it like keeps him distant from like seeing the issues that come along with those different various things yeah no for sure it's um i'm trying to think about yeah and i, I think that's sort of the thing is well like uh kiro so uh honjo kiro honjo is like kind of more aware of this stuff but it's also sort of uh like, he's very pragmatic, I feel yes. like. And this is sort of the contrast, right? Um, I try to remember, there's this, I try to remember what he's, but there's this scene where, like, I'm just sort of breaking down. It's like, yeah, like, the economy is really bad. And, like, it's f- effectively, like, destroying these, you know, these poor people. Mm-hmm. And that's why I have to have a job at this corporation mm-hmm. to, like, stay afloat, you know? And then he's like, <laughs> I'm going to go get married because you have to get married in order to work hard, right? And it's, like, yes. all this very <laughs> yeah. explicitly this, like... He's like, having a family at home who you can't be with that's what makes you work hard right and like and, I mean, in order to make money and provide yeah. for said people. and to be clear he's like that's a contradiction right like yes. he says that but it is like this um moment where he's sort of like very aware of how things work in a way that drew is not um but is sort of like content to be inside that right or like or is like hey this is just what i have to do to survive right Mm -hmm. whereas juro i think kind of always is yearning for something else yes he's a yearner yeah and um in some ways like sees that and feels that right and experiences that but i think there's a real sense in which by the end of the movie there's an emptiness right there's sort of a um when you see the zero units like fly across the sky right Mm. it's sad right it's Mm -hmm. sort of this like moment of like what was this yeah like what did this what was this really made what did this really make is i think there's the movie's also dedicated to the actual jiro right Mm -hmm. and i think there's some sense of which the movie is admirable um admiring of him um but i think it is deeply compromised and sort of um fractured or or, yeah yeah. i'd be i'd be curious to see what the book he wrote is like you know yeah like well, because it's also the book he wrote is 
explicitly about like the construction of zero mm-hmm. right so the- technically like i don't know how much of that would be in the movie like me in this movie right <laughs> yeah you know and obviously it's already heavily fictionalized right like Nauko is not a real person mm-hmm. right um you know he didn't he didn't have a young wife who died of tuberculosis or anything like that right that is all fictional the thing is it's, it's interesting as well because i know some folks in the so in Japan, this is actually a pretty controversial movie, especially I know that Miyazaki made some statements about how, like, effectively Japan should pay some kind of reparations to China mm-hmm. and or a couple other things like that. Um, maybe not even that bold, right? But, like, <laughs> yeah. said something like, hey, like, we mistreated these groups, you know, mm-hmm. during World War Two, and people were really mad at him mm-hmm. uh, about that. But I also know some folks in the West have been like, this movie is is kind of bad, and it's about how... It's good to make beautiful things, even though they kill people <laughs> or whatever. The Martin Scorsese problem rears his ugly head again. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, yeah, just related to that. Like, that reminds me, and I feel like it speaks to a thing that I was thinking about the entire movie, um, which is I feel like, like, americans you know loosely speaking Mm -hmm. um westerners i feel like we know nothing about japan (laughs) yeah Mm -hmm. like we have this image and this like goes for so many other countries right not exclusively but like for all the people who are so obsessed with world war ii (laughs) like i feel like we just don't have a sense of japan like how it was before or how it you know Mm -hmm. like during the war or even after like we just right um because there's also like a very real way in which like and this i don't know if this is really a thing but like how like american imperialism shapes japan yeah, right exa- it's like a huge e- thing exactly yeah. um there's a line where when they're in germany um one of the german german engineers says like oh you japanese copy everything <laughs> and it's like i was thinking about that because in the beginning i think there's a really beautiful thing going on with clothing in this movie um oh, okay because when we see um, when we see Jiro as a kid, he's, like, wearing this beautiful, like, you know, assuming, like, traditional Japanese clothing. Um, it's, like, very flowy, and, like, it's, like, he has, like, these pants that have these weird slits on the side. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. to, like, this massive shirt that's tucked in him. It looks really cool. And then, like, we next see him, and he's, like, in a suit. <laughs> and, like, all yeah. the men, like, are, you know, all the men who work um, at Mitsubishi, like, wear suits yeah i didn't notice this at all you're right and like everybody else in the movie is like still wearing like this traditional clothing um Mm -hmm. and stuff and so it's like when they get married yeah right like she's wearing this like you Mm -hmm. know traditional japanese wedding dress yeah right I feel like I'm putting westernness on that. <laughs> I don't mean to. Um, and then he's wearing a suit, right? He's wearing yeah. what he wears for work, right? Yeah, That's... yeah. And, so, and that, that can be, you know, like a gender thing, right? Like well, she goes off with the wife. Um, oh, for sure. His boss, and like they get ready, and he like. No, but I think I think I mean I think that's yeah. definitely. But I think it's also a thematic thing, right? Yeah, that for in sure. some ways, she represents like this this older era of Japan that is not in industry, mm-hmm. right? That is not, you know, because this is also one of the things is like. Like, with Japanese history is, like, 
Japan was literally like pulled into the European future yeah, like, by America. Forced by it, yeah. Right. So you know. just to get back, it's like, yeah, you know, you Japanese copy everything. It's like, well, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, you kind of forced us to. Right. Um, in a certain sense, or at mm-hmm. least in these particular yeah, well, my, areas. My understanding is there is society. An, sorry. Well, my understanding is there's an interest in, in Japan in like sort of preserving and like sort of enfolding um, different cultural elements and mm-hmm. then like a lot of like traditional. Um, Japanese art and music kind of reflects this, but this is also coming from like a you know an anthropologist that I took a <laughs> class from, right? And so there is also an ideological perspective that that is coming from, right? Mm-hmm. And so yeah, um, sure. so yeah, it's, it is you know it is both and maybe neither, and you know it's yeah. complicated, right? Yeah, and stuff, and I th- it like speaks to like Jiro is not like throwing off you know his japaneseness or like you know anything he's not like disdainful of anything at all like you know he like loves you know all these places and people and the cows and everything right um but you just see how like well yeah these certain industries and you know capitalism right when (laughs) there's a very um kind of leads to this yeah i think this is also the movie that is most subtly ecological Mm-hmm. Which is like weird to say, because like I mean, yeah, like I'm, you know, I'm not gonna be like, oh yeah, Princess Mononoke, like real subtle <laughs> movie, or you know, or like I mean, even Nausicaa or Totoro, I think those movies have like very explicit arguments that are being made about mankind's relationship to nature, yeah, and like they're just right there. Whereas this, it's it's a little because the first scenes with Jiro, you're in this like regular Japanese village, mm-hmm. right, and it's like mostly sort of the river, and you know this um. You know, like, it's just nothing, like, there's, like, a train that's a ways away. You know, Mm -hmm. there's, like, sort of, and everyone drives, like, cow things and stuff. Like, it's very sort of unindustrial, right? And then as you sort of, like, the train, then as Tokyo burns down, you see it rebuilt, right? And it has, like, tram system and stuff. Mm -hmm. There's very explicitly this sort of turn, this escalation towards, um, like, greater development and sort of, um, and it's connected directly to like the sort of escalation of eventual conflict, right? Yeah. That is in, that is largely invisible, you know, outside of some dream sequences, which I guess we're going to talk about. Sometimes Jiro has visions of conflict and war and destruction. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. He saw it coming. Yeah, I think that's one of the things. Yeah. You know, I don't think he's. Yeah, we sort of made that kind of line earlier. Is that he's. He's not focusing on it, but that doesn't mean he's not aware of it or yeah. is, like, not quite able to, like, completely understand what is happening, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, yeah, I think it's sort of related to Porco Rosso in this way thematically. Mm-hmm. Um, there's obviously all the airplane and flight stuff, right? Yeah. But um, – and also flying as sort of an art or, like, a, a sign of something more beautiful. Yeah. Um, but the but thing... again, yeah, in this movie, it's, it's not the flying of the plane. Right. It's true. Um, I was thinking about, like, how – so in Porco Rosso, there's this interest in sort of like, hey, history is like rushing towards these characters. Mm-hmm. And there was like this terrible conflict that is coming up and that like this, th- these relationships in this world will not survive. Yeah. Right. And that's very much sort of what's happening in, in Wind Rises too, right? This is like, you know, you don't see the devastation of Japan. You don't see Hiroshima, right? Yeah. And stuff like that. Or the devastation that like Japan wreaks on, you know, neighboring nations and stuff like that. But it, it looms over this movie in a big way, mm-hmm. right? And it's sort of everyone is implicated in it in this sort of terrible future thing that is coming to pass, right? And and yeah, again, it's like all these characters are sort of trapped in that inevitable turn, right? And you're sort of watching them sort of react to it and try to live through it. But the wind rises, right? 
it, the wind rises it keeps going you know <laughs> yeah i'm looking over our notes here i feel like we've talked a lot about this stuff mm-hmm. yeah i yeah. mean just uh we can we can pause and um go back to uh, our likes and yikes yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay i do our, have, our I do opening thought, segment let me put a pin in it <laughs> yes our opening segment well emma tell me about your like well you know it you know me I love those cows. Love the cows. They are so good. And I felt so validated when <laughs> Jero just <laughs> talked about how he loves the cows. Yeah, that was such a fun moment with you. <laughs> yeah. I think where I was like, you were like, oh, cows. And that's, you know, someone says something disparaging about the cows. And you're like, no. And then Jiro says, I like the cows. <laughs> yeah, it was it was yeah. blessed. Um, so that's definitely my um, my like. My yike in this movie, um, I was like kind of hard to pick one. But I think my yike is that there was not enough Kayo. So Kayo is Jiro's sister. And she's incredible. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, she's the one who kind of see through, sees through his bullshit in a real yes. way, right? Yeah. Um, you know, as like kids, you know she wants him to play with her oh, and yeah. he doesn't Oof. yeah <laughs> got grace good um and then you know and when he's in school she like gets on him for not coming home to visit yeah um mm -hmm. and then as an adult she becomes you know she becomes a doctor um which yeah i feel i wish i remembered a little more about it it's well, like she, a thing where it she, is a thing well she she, she says wants, she wants to be yeah. one and Jiro's like you should be you should become a doctor yeah. and she's like oh the, my father's gonna be against it yeah, our father, our father. <laughs> but um but he's like no i think you should do it and it's clear that yeah. like yeah she manages it like it's not yeah you know some there may have been some tension or problems there but she does like get yeah. to that point yep yeah. she becomes an amazing doctor and she's so sassy and so great and, like, she loves Naoko, and it's beautiful, and she's in the movie for, like, two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. need more of that. Yeah, we should, okay, we should also talk about how this is a very, this is a man-heavy movie. This is a man-heavy movie. <laughs> um, so, yeah, my, like, is that, so, it's, um, in some of these dream sequences, like, these bomb monsters, mm -hmm. and they kind of look like, they kind of look like the apes, from Princess Mononoke, like, from a distance. Well, I was thinking they looked like the blob monsters from Howl's Moving Castle. Yeah, or even, like, the, the like, ninja guys from Castle of Cagliostro. Yeah, you know. Right. You've, like, seen, you've yeah. seen a Miyazaki movie. <laughs> right. It's that. It's that. And I think, like, Party's like, okay, like, I... There's some actually really great moments of surrealism. There's a shot where you see Juro's face, and, and it's, like, the sunset, and there's these planes flying through it. Mm -hmm. There's some really great stuff, I think, in the dream sequences that's very sort of strange and, and like you know like caproni and jiro like standing on top of the airplane as it's moving and of course not affecting the weight of the airplane at all and, and <laughs> stuff like that sort of this like freeing sensation created by like the dream of flying yes i think is really effective really well done um but this this moment where it's like oh here's the bomb monster it's just like a little like okay like it, i think for a movie that like is really like in many ways tremendously understated and like is so like slow and contemplative in contrast in a certain way to the rest of Miyazaki's work that's a moment where sort of his like ability for bombast like shows mm -hmm. right and I think in a way that hurts the movie but only like a little bit like yeah. it's not a big deal <laughs> it's it's a scene <laughs> yeah mm -hmm. um the other thing I like is that Juro's boss has ridiculous hair it's like a double <laughs> part with like an undercut 
<laughs> <laughs> and so it's just like bopping and flopping around. Yes. And it's animated very beautifully. As, well, you he's, know, so, is, he's so tiny. He's very small. There's a scene where Jiro's like riding a bicycle with it and he's like sitting on the back and he has like his feet up on J- the back of Jiro's like bicycle seat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? Um, anyway, it's. Uh, he's a character. He's a character. It's very good, I think. Um, I mean, yeah, like I don't. I. You know. I do not know enough about animation to talk about, like, the craft of this movie in, like, that kind sort of way. But it is just... I mean, all these movies are so beautiful. Yes, this movie is so striking. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like I was noticing in this movie, and this is the problem when it takes us, you know, a year to do a season. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I feel like... It's hard to compare and contrast sometimes. But I feel like this movie, um, like, the backgrounds, especially were just so like unique from one another yeah like mm-hmm. um i feel like some of the other movies it's like oh like it's it's nighttime it's daytime you know like things look different but it's like basically the same and in this movie it's like it can be like really dark and moody but then like you have these amazing sunsets that are just so fiery yeah and, like mm-hmm. s- like stand out in like great contrast and stuff and obviously they're like bouncing between like countries and time and stuff yeah um so you know maybe that's part of it um but it it's just so beautiful <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. well i think it, it really communicates the sense of like passage of time right and sort mm-hmm. of like of this you know days and nights and you know transitioning between those two right um yeah i think it's it's really great and i the thing is i i just think this movie is like um I, I really admire the way, I don't know, what was I thinking about with this lately? Um, oh, I was thinking about Hustlers. Mm-hmm. Because Emma and I watched Hustlers last weekend, um, which we both enjoyed pretty well. Yeah. Um, but I, I kind of had some problems with it, um, partially because it's, like, based on a true story. Mm-hmm. But you can sort of sense the way it's been, like, chopped up and Hollywoodized, right? Yeah. And... Partially, this movie is kind of about that, right? This movie is interested in how hey, how does something become like a product or become art and like move through this process of sort of creation, right? But this movie in some ways feels more true, even though it is obviously very fictionalized, <laughs> right? Because I think it's more straightforward about that and like sort of foregrounds this mm-hmm. um, element. I know that's like a weird comparison because I guess it's both about workers. It's all about work. Yeah. It's all about economic hardship. No, oh, that's a spoiler. That's some foreshadowing. um so you know um yeah i guess i want to talk it was kind of tied into that actually Mm -hmm. um there's sort of a stylistic thing in this movie that we haven't talked about yet that Mm -hmm. is that there's a lot of human voices in the sound design Mm. so that like when an airplane whoosh up it's like a whoosh and it's like someone doing that whooshing sound okay right or when the earthquake happens uh earlier in the movie there's like this low rumble and this like it's like just literally like a choir Mm -hmm. doing like a you know vocal exercise right in a more menacing way than i made that sound (laughs) um but there's all this interaction of like of like human voices right and this sort of emphasis on i think it creates this real emphasis on like hey like you notice someone had to make that sound, right? And this is true 
if you're like capturing audio of an airplane mm-hmm. or manipul- you know, or like clacking pens on a table to make the sound of creepy legs or, you know, whatever you're doing to, that's like a sense memory from some biomical movie. <laughs> um, but, you know, like whatever you're doing to like make sound or like, you know, Ben Burt hitting wires to make the laser sound in Star Wars, right? Mm-hmm. There's always this like, there is a someone making that sound, recording that sound, mm-hmm. putting that sound into the movie, right? But, the Wind Rises makes it very explicit, like, hey, someone is doing this, right? And sort of ties that into, like, the airplane creation, right? That someone had to make this. This is a human product that is being produced, mm-hmm. right? And it's being made and, like, being constructed before your eyes in this in this real, you know, in this sort of immediate, intimate way that's, mm-hmm. like, structured by human voices, right? Well, I think that's neat. Yeah. It was not a thing that I noticed at all yeah i think i <laughs> mentioned it you mentioned it and then i would be like wait is that right <laughs> like, yeah. well it and, is it is altered in some way i think yeah, right like no, it's not but i think yeah. i think that's that's why i like talking to you because <laughs> you you know you just see these things yeah um it's nice yeah well i think it's interesting also that the i mean maybe that's yeah maybe this is a bit of a stretch but i think it's interesting the earthquake is this way as well but maybe there's sort of a like the effort, the work, working in the world is sort of a natural process, right? But there's mm-hmm. a way that that gets sort of co-opted and created into something else, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it also creates, like, sort of a interesting tie in between the dreams. So the first dream that Jiro has, he just has, like, an airplane on the top of his house that he, like, cranks up mm-hmm. and then, like, flies off into the sky with and, like, in between the lanes. And it's it's really cool, especially the first part is, like, super flat and, like, the plane is, like, too big, mm-hmm. you know? Like, it's, like, you see sort of these huge squares of land and the plane is, like, just as big as they are and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, very sort of unreal. Um, but it's still this sort of sound to mm-hmm. it, right? And so it emphasizes this, like, this relationship that we talked about earlier between the, like, material and the sort of ephemeral, the dreamlike, yeah. the, the beauty and the thing that creates beauty, right? Or that is, inspires us to think about beauty, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah, so there's, I don't know, there's there's a lot to chew on. Mm-hmm. in this movie and i think like i mean it's also th- i was also just thinking about how so like you know miramax did the mm-hmm. release of princess mononoke yes like we i think we talked about this on the princess mononoke episode a little bit but harvey weinstein was a producer on that movie yes you know and so like there is this um and, you know this is also this movie was made before all this really went down right mm-hmm. um and it's not like miyazaki had like a direct relationship with with weinstein or anything like that but there's still that material element, right? That it's like, yeah. if you went and saw Princess Mononoke in 1997, some of that money went to Harvey Weinstein's pocket, right? Mm-hmm. And there's sort of this, I think, relationship that the movie is sort of setting up that's like, yeah, like, creating this beautiful thing, like, you are still supporting, you're still creating this, wide, and it's being co-opted and being sucked up into the sort of systemic mm-hmm. violence, right, that is happening. Yeah. This is why you have to support your local theater. And I mean that, like, stage plays. Yeah. <laughs> Right. This is a thing that Grace, you know, talks about all the time, right? But it's just like in these systems that we have set up in Hollywood, it's like you have to make certain kinds of movies, like do certain kinds mm-hmm. of art. You know, people talk about this all the time. It's like, oh, you, like you make a Star Wars so that like then you can make whatever movie you want. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And so Ryan Johnson did Last Jedi, so he could do this <laughs> out. <or whatever. laughs> yeah. There's this there's some drama that like people cannot make movies that they want to make you know, without sort of this backing of the system that is, like, fundamentally inhuman and monstrous. Yeah. So, you know, like I said, support your local artists. Right. Well, I think that is the thing. Um, and this is, like, something that I think that's come up in a lot of my criticism. And the thing is, I'm not good enough at this, right? Like, I, I think, you know, partially virtue of being on Twitter 
and like trying to undo the wiring that capitalism has put into my brain right like i'm always interested in like sort of the new thing like i've been thinking and writing a lot about final fantasy 7 recently Mm -hmm. because like you know final fantasy 7 remake is coming out two days from when we record this right Mm -hmm. because it is in the air people are talking about it and so i am talking about it right and i'm talking about it maybe in a different way that is like inflected by my own experiences right but i'm still the wind is rising and i am you know (laughs) i am doing and so i think um you know, this is something this movie does not do, and I think is kind of incapable of doing, given its, like, my experience. Which I, to be clear, I don't think it's a criticism. Um, I do, I want more movies that imagine a utopia, and I don't think there's any Bisaki movies that do that. Like, mm-hmm. Princess Mononoke, at best, gestures at something that might happen, <laughs> right? Uh, Gnostic actually maybe gets closer. Yeah. Um, but... You know, I want art that is, like, about that. Like, I love The Dispossessed, right? That was the Kaylee Gwynn which I think is very explicitly about, hey, what if things were different? What does that look like? Mm-hmm. What problems, what challenges would come with that, right? And I think I want more art to be like that. Um, so it's not a, I'm just saying it's not a criticism of this movie that it is not that. I think this is valuable, too. Um, but I think also, like, this movie is incapable of framing something like, hey, you should go support your local airplane designer, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, there is, and that's part of it, is there is no local airplane designer. To make movies at the scale that Miyazaki wants to make them, yeah. you have to do this, right? Yeah. And there's this inevitable. But I think there's still this, like, hey, there's still, especially now with, with the internet and with the democratizing of tools, right, there was a way, a real tangible way that you can move out or begin to move out of those systems, right? Mm-hmm. And I think um, that's really important to do. And I think that's something that, like, that most movies that you have seen are not going to talk about, right? Mm -hmm. There's not room in the production of their design to talk about what it means to get, be rid of that system. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, there's sort of, yeah. Like imagining sort of an alternate cinema, I think is something this movie is like fundamentally incapable of doing, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So that that said, yeah, maybe, maybe we'll get all those movies, you know, two years from now. They're all about, COVID-19. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we will see. Hopefully, you know, America will be dismantled and <laughs> all that jazz. You know, just uh, girly things. Just girly things. <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking yeah, of our gr- ladies. Girls love it when you hear uh, that you want to dismantle the uh, American imperialist machine and return land to who it belongs. <laughs> that's, uh, that's what girls love to hear. Mm-hmm. Speaking um, of ladies. Speaking of ladies. Do we want to talk about the few ladies? Yeah, I think I do. I do want to talk about gender in this movie. Um, I mean, I think it's notable. I mean, maybe it's reflective of sort of some... I feel like gender is senseless is a little harsh. Mm-hmm. Um, but sort of some some ideas about gender that run through maybe Bizaki's works. Um, because, like, all the women in this movie has sort of a fundamental purity to them i think that the men are not afforded right Mm -hmm. and part of it is that like the women the women sort of get to be outside of this system in a way that the men can't be yeah right Mm -hmm. um even i think kayo is an exception like even though she's like becoming a doctor and something there is a way in which like she's doing something that helps people (laughs) right (laughs) like she's doing this work that's like very tangibly sort of yeah well, and it's yeah. not about, you know, her being in school, and it's not about, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. her charging people, you know, right. <laughs> like no, for it's visits, not about, right? Yeah. Like, it's about mm-hmm. her, like, it's like a self-actualization exercise, almost. Yeah, for sure. Just in the way it's framed, and what we see, what little we see. Yeah. Um, or even just thinking about, like, 
like Naoko is an artist. Yes. She paints. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that like painting is like just for her. You know? Yeah, but and part it's... of that is there is an economic like you know her family is very wealthy. Yeah. Right, so she's able to sort of just make. It's true. In a way that Damn, I mean, like, not that Jiro's like not like Jiro's fine. Mm-hmm. Like he's doing well, especially towards the end, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but like, it's not it, it's not implied that his family is like really wealthy or anything. Like he's yeah. able to go to school, but like I think you know it's like he would have to have a job, right? Mm-hmm. And like Naoko does not need to have a job, and she can afford to go to a mountain sanatorium for months, yeah. right? Um, you know, so yeah, I don't really know. There's a scene where when. Jiro first finds out that she's had a lung hemorrhage. There's this image of her painting and like mm. blood oh, falling yeah. on the paint, and it's such a it's very good. It's a very <laughs> it's like, upsetting. I'm, it's very upsetting and a very striking image. And I sort of don't. I mean, maybe maybe it's just like this really literal like hey like blood on the artwork, right? Like the <laughs> the destruction of what is happening, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's sort of an element, and I think it's I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting because I think it. Um, and that's also something that's interesting about Miyazaki films in general is there's usually like a foregrounding of of female characters right mm-hmm. they usually have like um a great deal of agency and like subjectivity mm-hmm. right that um you know people sort of like talk about and praise especially like in relation to like nausicaa or kiki right um but these are also movies that are made primarily by men right yes. and and like even the producer like one of this like studio ghibli producer has been there forever was like oh women can't make movies and, <laughs> yeah. you know you know which is like which to me is like have you watched like any of these movies but but also i think there's like there's a thing that's bringing out right that i think is mm-hmm. in some ways reflected in yeah the well wind rises and in the culture that the wind rises is trying to talk about right yeah but i would also say that like despite the fact that they're not on screen like i feel like both naoko and kaio's like whole thing like both of their whole things are about like them making their own choices yeah for sure right no this isn't to say that i think um I mean, this is also Martin Scorsese stuff because we're not always talking about the Irishman and how Anna Paquin's only in it for six lines or whatever. Um, but I, I think you're right. Like, mm-hmm. I think there is like this real, uh, but I, th- I think it's significant that they just don't, that they're sort of apart from the work that defines the men. Yeah. And I don't, I think, yeah, yeah. I think that does not contradict what you're saying, mm-hmm. but I think it reflects sort of the material conditions in which it was created, even though... Yeah, I'm not saying it's like I think the movie is better off being the way way it is, right? Mm-hmm. But I think um But yeah, but I think there's an element that is like it is focused on the men in a way that like reflects some sort of thematic thing that's going on that reflects like it's interesting when Mizaki decides to make a movie about making movies, it becomes a movie about men. Like I think that is yeah, interesting. No, right? for sure. For yeah. sure. I think that might wrap it up for us. Yeah. I mean, you said Naoko's not a mom. She's not a mom. She's not a mom. She's not a mom. I mean, just talking about our our, Ghibli, <laughs> our Miyazaki ladies. Yeah. Um, who are her sometimes mom, moms. Her, who are often moms. Yes. <laughs> frequently moms. Frequently moms. Um, frequently, you know, 13-year-old moms. Yeah. Um, or like, you're going to be a great mom. <laughs> yeah. So. Like your mom. Or like your surrogate mom. Naoko's mom is dead. Um, she died from tuberculosis, and that's how um, Naoko contracted it. Yeah. And I think it's interesting, um, maybe, you know, not that deep, but it is of note to me <laughs> that, like, when her whole story is about, like, dying, 
and like wanting to you know get married and like live with her husband and then leave her husband basically like to go die um to preserve that image like she never talks about kids like she's never sad or at least you know we don't see it but there's never like in 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 that storyline you like are guaranteed to get like you know oh like i will never you know he'll never have a family you know and that's not true like she does she 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 chooses to be with jiro and she befriends kayo and you know and the boss's wife you know who they're like living Mm -hmm. with um or you know visiting and yeah this is true and stuff and so it's like damn she like really is not a mom (laughs) and like that's Mm -hmm. you know okay like you know maybe it's like sad that her life you know was so short and that she had to leave you know all these people that she loved right um because you know she felt it was the right decision but like yeah like yeah yeah, i'm just about like you know in the like hollywood american version of this movie there's (laughs) a scene where she's like i'll never have children (laughs) yes you know (laughs) that is one thing this is like a tangent but that is one thing that so i like prometheus generally i think it's also gonna make people (laughs) mad um, I was not expecting. Yes, that. yeah. Well, so there's just a scene in Prometheus because there's a whole thing about about childbirth in Prometheus, right? Uh-huh. Um, that's like a big part of the horror element in it. Um, but there's a scene where, um, what I'm trying to remember the exact thing, but like, you know, one of the characters is with her boyfriend, mm-hmm. so she's like the main. It's like they're the both sort of the main scientists who are leading this expedition, right? And the boyfriend says something, and she's like, oh, well, like, am I a monster because I can't have kids? You know? <laughs> and then he's like, no, you're not. And then they have sex. Mm-hmm. And it's very, it just very much comes out of the blue. Yeah. Is, they haven't talked about having kids, like, anywhere before in the movie. <laughs> and so it was literally like, oh, like, she's a lady. Like, she must want to have kids. She's a black widow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, so, yeah. But I, I would say that's a bad part of that movie. I'm not yeah. going to. Um, yeah. Not a mom. Explicitly not a mom. Yeah. That's your mom content. That's your mom episode. content for this episode. Um, yeah. I feel like it was something I was going to follow up on there. Uh, no, I don't think so. Well, yeah, I think this movie is really good. I think, um, I don't know. It's hard because I do, like, I, I don't know. I think there's a way to read this movie that's about, like, how, like, yeah. I did, Actually, honestly, you know what? I don't know how you can read this movie about how Japanese imperialism is good, actually. <laughs> I don't know how you can sort of do look at this movie and see that, like, Jiro... Like, the movie traps Jiro in a real way, mm-hmm. but I do think it's, like, it dreams of a different world in a really tangible way. And not, not and again, like, not in a material way where it's, it's like, yearning. hey... It's yearning, right? There is this sense of yearning for something beyond that is unreachable, right? And that sort of something beyond is, like, hey, like... I think there is a real sense like what if the what if the world was not like this but also we live in the world and it's like this right mm-hmm. um and so yeah like i don't i do not think it's it has the sight to like reach beyond its constraints but i do think it, it creates those constraints in a really beautiful way in a way that is utter like it's subtle but it's utterly sort of condemning and damning of, of these things and i think even of jiro himself right yeah um in a way that's yeah like very like he's sympathetic you're it's very sad mm-hmm. right but it's not it's not joyful Right, you don't, there's no yeah. satisfaction at the end of this road. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's rough. I guess that's my last thought. <laughs> it's rough. It's rough out there. Well, okay, well, it's the moment mm. you all been waiting for. Let's talk about our next season. Mm. Do we want to answer? Oh, we got to answer like... the question, the oh. listener question. So we got a question from M, um, and they asked us, oh, I have normal mapping chats, I have normal mapping. We will mm-hmm. formally shout them out later. Um, 
who asked us what our list was. Our official ranking. Our official ranking of Miyazaki films. Mm -hmm. This was painful for you. This was painful for me. I realized I like all these movies a lot. And I think, like, this list could change hourly for me. <laughs> um, I think a lot of that is, like, like I have a lot of nostalgia for most of these movies. Like, mm -hmm. a lot of the stuff I watched a lot as a kid or when I was growing up and sort of forming, like, artistic taste. And I think it informs, like, I have forgotten that Keith David does the beginning voiceover in Princess Mononoke. <laughs> and that was, like, a thing that's, like, oh, like, this explains a lot about me. Um, Your love of Keith my David. My love of Keith David. But also, like, this sort of, like, somber, like, mythic narration. Uh -huh. Right? Like, it's, anyway, there's just stuff. Like, there's stuff that is aesthetically bound up in these movies that I'm just interested in, period. In, in my criticism and in whatever, like, fiction writing I've done. Mm -hmm. Right? So, it is, it's not, not, not that it's, like, I define myself by these movies. But it's, like, hard to untangle sort of my, like, nostalgic feelings about them and from, like, what these movies actually are. And, um, although, uh, yeah. Anyway, so this was hard for me. I think if you were mad about the placement of anything on this list, like know that like I could probably watch it again tomorrow and be like, you know, that might be the best one. Uh, generally speaking, I think that's true. There were ones where I don't think that's going to happen forever. Mm -hmm. um, but also I'm like, man, it's kind of criminal. I don't like this movie more than I do. Mm -hmm. Okay, so without further ado, here's the list from top to bottom. Top to bottom. Actually, no, let's do bottom to top. Bottom to top. Bottom to top. Damn. All right, so starting Castle Caliostra, which is, yeah, so it's criminal. Slick. <laughs> it's such a good movie. It's a very, very good movie. I can't, like, it's criminal. That movie is a machine. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so good. It's, yeah, it's a machine like Neo's a machine, you know? <laughs> He's a machine. It's very good. I love it a lot. It's just, I guess it's just the movie that does the least for me. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, so then Howl's Moving Castle, mm -hmm. Castle in the Sky, mm -hmm. Porco Rosso, mm -hmm. Ponyo, Spirited Away, the Wind Rises, Nausicaa, Princess Mononoke, Kiki's Delivery Service, Whisper of the Heart, and My Neighbor Totoro. I'm surprised that um, that Ponyo is so low. I'm You're losing your mind. I was losing my mind about Ponyo. Um, yeah, like again, <laughs> this is the thing. It's like, oh, well, maybe I should put Ponyo like up where Valley of the Wind is. You know, I'm like thinking, of, I'm looking at it right now, being like, hmm, hmm. That? And I think, yeah, I really thought. When I was, like, thinking, and when I think about Ghibli movies, I'm always like, oh, yeah, Princess Mononoke, that's my favorite one, mm -hmm. right? I think I even said that in the podcast. Yeah. Um, but I was looking at all the movies and thinking about, like, what's been really effective and beautiful for me lately. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, yeah, again, this is just wrapped up with current life circumstances, like, transitioning and sort of coming out. And, like, Whisper of the Heart and Kiki's Labors and My Neighbor Totoro are not explicitly about any of those things, but they're movies that made me really think about community and about family about like identity and being oneself and it's something that just really hit me mm -hmm. this time around watching them and i think um means a lot to me i also think totoro is just like it's it's so it's short mm -hmm. but it's so rich and so much fun and like so smart and beautiful and i just think it's like yeah like for me it's just that's that's like that's like just an all-time great movie right like i um and, like, Mononoke, I think I still really love. And, like, I, I don't want to go into, like, a defense of it here. Um, even though I think, yeah, like, I think that movie's great. I think there's a lot of interesting stuff going on with it. And I did also really, really enjoy watching it again. I think that's one of our favorite episodes that we've done together. Mm -hmm. um, but I just think for what I'm experiencing right now, sort of in a personal way, it didn't quite hit me the same way. Um, but I think also, like, yeah, like, again, like, I think there are days where, like, I would like Nausicaa more than Mononoke, right? And I think it really depends on... Um, how it hits and I think this, that's something that's been nice about watching these movies and I think these, these are movies that I will continue to watch again and again over the years right and they will like sort of change and shift to me 
and you know they're like yeah like i don't know weird but it's like these movies are gonna be companions throughout the rest of my life i think in a real way and i think it'll be fun to see how that shifts right so this is very reflective of sort of this very particular period in time Mm -hmm. i don't think that howl's moving castle is going to leap up there even though there's the thing is it's also like man that movie's real good and howl howl is one of the most important characters characters yeah i said on twitter (laughs) well it's it's weird because i don't think that's true necessarily of like howl as a character character yes right but there is like seeing someone who's male presenting who had this like extremely sort of feminine vibe who is vain and who, like, also I, I cosplayed as Howl <laughs> yes. in high school uh, for a dance. And, like, I felt like, I think that was, like, the first time I really felt, like, gender euphoria, right? Mm-hmm. Where I was, like, there's something about this that feels good, that feels right, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, that is really meaningful to me, right? And that's not necessarily tied up with anything that actually happens <laughs> in Howl in the Moving Castle, except for this aesthetic, which I guess is, you know, it's always connected, right? Yeah. But anyway, I've ram- rambled enough. Um yeah, what's your ranking, Emma? Okay, so I decided to rank these movies. I was also having a tough time. It's like, oh, like, you know, um, like, how should I rank this? Should I just rank it on my feels? Um, you know, what are, what are we going to do? And I decided to rank these movies by their gayness. <laughs> okay, I actually kind of anticipated this. <laughs> I didn't I didn't see anything, but I was like, oh, I bet. Go ahead. I, I um, might be, we'll see. We'll see. What, yeah, we can, we can, we So I, they're kind of like in brackets, you know? Okay, yeah. Um, so at the top are most queer movies. You know, we got, we got Kiki's Delivery Service. Yeah. We got, we got Ponyo, and we got Howl's Moving Castle. All right, right? yes. Those mm-hmm. movies totally. are about, like, people building their own families and bodies, you know, and lives, and everybody in Kiki is gay, you know, is queer in yeah. some form or another. Um, we love Ursula, our trans icon. Yeah, we do. Um, shout outs Damn, to Damn, I love Ursula so much. <laughs> anyway, sorry. <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's top tier. Yeah. Um, then we move on, um, to kind of like the middle, the middle section, um, movies like, um, Castle in the Sky and Spirit Away and Whisper of the Heart. Like, they're not necessarily gay, but, like, I can see all these kids growing up. Like, they're us. (laughs) Right, yeah. They're not going to figure anything out until their (laughs) mid-20s. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. It's going to take some time, but they'll get there. Um, Then we have, so, like, Nausicaa, you think, like, that's a straight movie. Her breasts were designed... You know, so that old men. <laughs> this actually the thing about that heads. though is that it's not sexual. It's not. Mark. It's not. It's truly not. But um, it is. It is like um, heterosexual in this like motherly right yes, sort of gender. Right. Yeah. It's normative. Yeah. However, Kushana, my bad bitch. I'm so <laughs> gay for her. <laughs> it automatically, you know, it doesn't quite hit the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Same with Wind Rises very straight movie however like five times we were like oh yes jiro and hanjo boyfriends living together so tragic that hanjo's going off to get married tomorrow (laughs) (laughs) 
and then and then at the and then and then at the bottom you just have Porco Rosso and Cas- Castle of Cagliostro, which are painfully straight. <laughs> where does uh, where does Princess Mononoke fit into this? this oh, nice. Princess, I I missed I missed it. Princess Mononoke and my neighbor Totoro are also in kind of like that middle bracket. Like, oh, okay. oh, there's nothing to suggest that they. Yeah, are so not the thing is, the thing is, like Mononoke is a is a really queer movie for me, especially mm-hmm. with like San, who mm-hmm. is like this person who's caught in between different worlds, and I think like like I don't know. I think there's a resonance there for me is like growing up religious and sort of figuring mm-hmm. out queerness right was like was there anyway. Yeah. So yeah, so that would be high shit for me. <laughs> I don't think any of that stuff makes me mad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There no. you go. That's great. Yeah. Great <laughs> ranking. I think a good contrast to mine. Yeah. Um, no pain. <laughs> all right. Well, let's uh let's wrap this up. Yes. So the next theme we're doing movies about labor, mm-hmm. about work, mm-hmm. specifically kind of like you know, lower class. So the, the first movie we're doing is Modern Times, mm-hmm. the Charlie Chaplin classic, Starting which I've seen, but Emma's not. I have not. Uh, we have a list on Letterboxd right now. The majority of these movies I have not seen. Yes. Um, the majority of these movies, well, well not, it's not that long, but we're not going to watch all of the movies on the list. We no. are actively building the list. Yes. If you have recommendations or if you see something on that list, it's like, oh, you have to watch this one. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Or you think we should add something into consideration. Let yeah. us know. Hit us up. Um, we're working on it, but yes, that. Yeah, that my uh, my letterbox is uh, Grace underscore machine. Mm-hmm. So you can just find the list there and, and put a comment there or at me on Twitter or whatever you want to. Yeah. do yeah so but I'm, uh-huh. I'm excited for that yeah yeah and one of the goals we have here is to like watch movies from a diverse period of time mm-hmm. um and so like one of the movies the list is like i don't know if we're gonna watch this right but john ford's how green is my valley which is from like 54 mm-hmm. we also watch grapes of wrath actually mm-hmm. john ford grapes of wrath anyway so like we're trying to pull from different periods of history and also from different nationalities there's like you know parasites on there i don't know if that's what <laughs> we're gonna watch right or uh, R.B., which is this great Brazilian movie mm-hmm. um, yeah. that we watched. I, I'm excited to watch. I think we have to watch Shoplifters. I know, like, basically nothing about this movie, except yeah. that lots of people have recommended it. Um, it's mm-hmm. a Japanese film from, I think, 2018. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, High School Musical 2. Obviously, <laughs> obviously, obviously, Grace is not allowed to take that off the list. <laughs> <laughs> I you you hear, well, I mean, heard maybe, it here first. This, you know, the thing is, it does lock us off from doing a, a high school musical season in the future. You know, it might be, I, I might be willing to make that compromise. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fair, fair enough. You want to talk about it in this frame. Yeah, yeah, okay. exactly. I've, um, I've seen it enough times just for pleasure. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. Um, um, so anyway, we're working on that. We're excited. Um, and you know, hopefully, yeah, I'd love to, love to he- receive feedback, you know, yeah. on what to watch and like what you think. Um, cause again, we will be coming from a very particular place with our backgrounds yeah. um, mm-hmm. and stuff. And we can talk about well, that. We also, I mean, there's a little bit of difference between us two, yeah. right? Um, so yeah, there'll be, there'll be some interesting stuff to show in there. And also, yeah, like it's modern times is just, it's a great movie holds up yeah i'm excited yeah i'm i'm excited to watch and i'm excited to yeah to just get sort of out of our comfort zone mm-hmm. you know um in some way yeah we'll see and we'll like also if you just have ideas for other seasons you want to do we're floating doing mm-hmm. a jesus season yes we watch like ben-hur and uh last patient of christ and the life of brian <laughs> and, <laughs> you know jesus movies. Jesus, jesus movies um so you know and maybe talk about sort of faith and stuff or we want to try to try to move towards, I think, in the future of the show, doing stuff that's abstract, right, and um, sort of gets us to watch a ton of different things that we sort of talk about using a similar framework. 
Mm-hmm. I think it'll be really rich and exciting, and I'm excited to get to that. Mm-hmm. And also just talking about movies maybe that folks haven't seen, and then we'll get a chance to sort of... Yeah, that we know, haven't seen. Give us an exposure, too. Um, so, yeah. We are hosted by the Abnormal Mapping Podcast Network, which you can find at abnormalmapping.com, and which you can support on Patreon mm-hmm. at patreon.com slash abnormalmapping. Yes. And if you're if you're sad about us ending this season... Um, you love that you love that co- Miyazaki oh, yeah. content. Mm-hmm. Um, you can go to Abnormal Mapping and find their pod uh, one of the podcasts that they do, um, which is called And Then an Aeroplane. It is all the Ghibli movies, not just Miyazaki. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's yeah, it's which a apparently good podcast. apparently we're missing all the good ones. I know that's yeah, that's, that's what, what we've they been told. Um, <laughs> which you know I'm very like mm, about, but that's like <laughs> that's just me. That's not a problem with anybody. Yeah, shout out, hey, shout outs to M and Autumn who host that show. Mm-hmm. They're both really great and have been really great. Uh, yeah. Like obviously helping, like they you know the you Network know, has the podcast, but also been really friendly to us and have talked talked to us about the pod. I think in ways that have been really fun. Yeah, it's been and, a, so. it's been a nice nice community. Mm-hmm. Um, and you should listen to the other shows yeah. on the network. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this is for us. You can find us on Twitter at Seasons Movie Pod. Mm-hmm. You can email us questions at seasonspod at gmail.com. Email us, please. Um, and then you can also find our archive and our RSS feed and the link to iTunes on abnormalmapping.com slash seasonsmoviepod. Mm-hmm. Emma, where can people find you online? You can find me on Twitter at U of Wales. You got anything to plug? Uh, You're doing arts and crafts, but I don't know if that's something you want to talk about on the yeah, show. Yeah, you know, I'm a, I'm a maker. I, you know, break break my hands and use all my time in the pursuit of beauty, um, <laughs> as it were. <laughs> um, yes, yeah. So, you know, I make stuff. Um, you can see it on Twitter or, you know, my Instagram, my art Instagram specifically. Um, we can share that. It's yeah. um, at arte.eclectico. Um, it's R-A- Nope, nope, it's not. It's A R A R T E um dot E C L E C T I C O. I'm not used to spelling that out yeah. loud on a podcast. Um so yeah, yeah. I like to make stuff. Grace, right. where can people find you? You can find me at Grace underscore machine on Twitter. You can find the writing I do at GraceInTheMachine.com. Mm-hmm. Um, I should have some stuff dropping this week that I'm really excited about. Mm-hmm. Probably this podcast will be up after all that's out. But <laughs> hey, uh, you know, shout outs to Uppercut Crit. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can check out a piece that I wrote there about Final Fantasy VII and queerness. Um, and what about anything else? Yeah, you can also find my letterbox at Grace underscore machine. I I usually post about every movie I watch, mm-hmm. usually just like a sentence or two or sort of a brief thought, um, as opposed to like a full review. Yep. Um, if you want to follow me on there, that's that's cool. Yeah. You can hear about movies I'm watching. Um, anyway, thanks for doing this. Mm-hmm. Uh, thanks for, yeah, listening to the podcast. I think this was a really great show. I'm really mm-hmm. proud of us. I'm very happy that we're wrapped up the season finally. <laughs> yes. And hopefully we can sort of get watching more movies. And New get on start. To, yeah. We say this every time, but hey, you know, we're quarantined now. We're inside all the time. Yeah. It's great. I mean, it's not great, but you know, you it know what I'm saying. It is not great. Um, thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you on the next time. Bye.